extremely important to me. And this is not something I just do because it's Sunday and I have to preach on something. The older I get, the more almost obsessed I get with wanting to teach what Jesus wanted teaching, what he wanted taught. Who remembers, who's here old enough to remember Palm Pilots? They were expensive, and now you go 50 cents at a garage sale on a good day. But uh, I had a Palm Pilot, and every once in a while, your stylus would be off-center, and you had to recenter it. You remember that? You had to press the button, and you had to do some things to make it uh, recenter. We need to recenter on what Jesus was actually teaching. The problem with most of our churches, including ours and every other church, every other denomination, is we've got a theological pattern which we impose on Jesus' teaching. And we kind of pick and choose what we like in his teaching, and we arrange it such. It's like our, it's like our theology, our personal theology, our denomination's theology, our church's theology, whatever. It's like a waffle iron, and we, we impose that pattern on the batter of Jesus' teaching. And it's important, I think, to bring out that actual teaching as much as we possibly can, because it is so powerful, so potent, and I'm convinced it's the main thing about being a human being. I'm convinced that Jesus has the best answer and the best teaching to what it means to be a human being of anyone on the planet. And so I'm sort of obsessed with trying to, to get at what Jesus wanted to say and try not to impose on him what I would like him to say or use him for proof texting. The problem is a lot of people see Jesus in reductionist terms. A lot of us have played Monopoly, but most of us probably haven't gone the distance with the game. Uh, the game sort of falls apart at the end. You ever notice that? It doesn't really have a clean ending like someone wins. People just quit and they go broke and all kinds of stuff happens and everybody's mad and you quit. But one of the things you get, it's really fun at the beginning when you're all rich, you know, and you're buying stuff. And then things get ugly, you know. And you get this little red card, the chance card, that says, get out of jail free. And a lot of people reduce Jesus' teaching to this. In other words, we're going to hell, and this is a free, get out of hell free card if you say these words. And there's nothing wrong with that per se. Jesus does set save us from sin, death, the power of the devil, and hell. And we do get saved from something. But please listen to me. It's more important to Jesus what we get saved for than what we get saved from. Getting saved from something is important, but then now what? What are we saved for? What were you put here to do? Jesus didn't create you just to forgive you. He wants to forgive all of us, but that's not the point of his message. And some people, I call it reductionism. They reduce the gospel to one phrase, the forgiveness of sins and going to heaven. And they forget about the whole good news or what Jesus called the good news. And we're going to look at that today. And we're going to look at the fullness of it because it has a lot to do with you. And it has a lot to do with how you live your life. And it has everything to do with your worldview and how you look at the Holy Spirit, how you look at your life and where it's going. And each and every day, you make a choice to use Jesus' worldview or not. And we're going to talk about that today. Jesus is a lot more than a get-out-of-free-jail card. It's the whole game of life. And he wants to be a part of that whole thing. 
Is there something more to the gospel than just getting out of jail free? Well, we're starting a new sermon series today with our partner church. That's uh, Lifehouse up in the valley. My friend Dana Hansen, he and I are very, very close friends. and He, uh, he has started following our sermon stuff, and we preach the same Bible text every Sunday. He's a little bit better preacher than I am, so if you don't get what I'm saying, just follow his. It's on Lifehouse. You can, you can find it. Now, just an excellent communicator, just a wonderful guy, and uh, we're doing this together, and we're starting a new sermon series together called The Ten Commandments of Jesus. Now, these are not the Ten Commandments from the Old Testament, and every time I've mentioned this to someone, someone has said, we just did one on the Ten Commandments. Says, no, these are not those Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments that Jesus gave us throughout the Gospels. And in fact, he gave us dozens. It was hard to pick 10. So these are sort of the top 10 of the things that uh, we were able to pick out. The Ten Commandments of Jesus. We look at the Old Testament commandments, but we often don't look at the ones in the New Testament. Jesus says this, and this is really important. When Jesus says it, we got to pay attention. If you love me, you will keep Moses' commandments. Does it say that? It says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, my teaching which begs the question, what is his teaching? And what are his commandments? But I I looked all over the internet. I've never seen anybody do a sermon series on the commandments of Jesus anywhere. And that's crazy. So I thought we would start to remedy that by focusing on Jesus. You can't focus on Jesus too much. You just can't. And so we're going to look at Jesus and what he says, what he commands us to do. And all of it is very paradoxical, very countercultural, and very powerful, pivotal for how we live our lives. You see, Moses got the original Ten Commandments, and I'm all for them. I was confirmed in a Lutheran church, and I had to memorize them. And it's hard to memorize the commandments because every denomination has a different numbering, which is really, uh, you may not know that, but you might look at a plaque and realize, oh my goodness, Calvinists do this different than Lutherans, do this different than do this different than Jews, do this different than it's, it's a mess. So it's hard to, you'll say, well, they're not keeping the fifth commandment. I'm saying, well, which list are you talking about? And it is confusing. In fact, you can intimidate a pastor sometime by saying, what was the fourth commandment again? And they go, which, which list am I going to look at? So Moses gave us the Ten Commandments, and they're all fine and good, and I think they ought to be on courthouse flagposts and school rooms and everything else, because they are universal. They're not Christian or Jewish. They're universal rules for getting along for the entire human race. They're not any one denomination. I mean, who thinks murder is a good idea? Nobody. So let's, let's put that up on the wall for people. It'd be a good thing. So if Moses had been enough, we wouldn't have needed Jesus. Jesus taught because he believed that there was more to teach. He didn't just say, oh, just follow Moses. Jesus had things to add. And those things to add, we believe as Christians, are pivotal and central to what we're talking about. So if Moses had been enough, and there is Moses, Charlton Heston, and if uh, Moses doesn't look like Charlton Heston, I will be very disappointed. And I've often said that if if, uh, Joseph doesn't look like Donny Osmond, I also will be very disappointed. Donny Osmond was born to play Joseph because uh, he's just got that vibe. So here's commandment one. Seek ye first the kingdom. This, I believe, is 
needs to be number one because I really believe that it's in some ways the very most central to Jesus' teaching. Because Jesus taught about forgiveness for our sins, but he taught a lot more about us forgiving our neighbors. And we need to forgive other people. It's in the middle of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And we're going to be singing that, or Kim's going to be singing that at the end of the service. And so for those of you watching, please get uh, some bread and a cup and get ready for communion. Because it's customary to do the Lord's Prayer before communion. And in the middle of the Lord's Prayer, it's forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. With emphasis on us forgiving others. But also in the middle of the Lord's Prayer, which is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, which is the main central sermon of Jesus, right smack dab in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount is the Lord's Prayer. And in the middle of the Lord's Prayer is, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. That king of heaven, come down. Your will be done, not later in heaven someday, but on earth as it is in heaven. This is the central teaching of Jesus. And virtually all of his parables start with this line. The kingdom is like unto this. And it almost never has to do with getting forgiven and going to heaven. Now, that stuff is important, but it's not the main thing. Folks, getting forgiven, we're get, given, we need to get rid of those things so that we can live out a Christian life. And going to heaven is a byproduct of, it's a, it's a byproduct of our faith. It's not the main part. Eternal life is part of the gospel, but it's not the whole thing. The gospel starts now. What are you going to do on Monday? And how does the Holy Spirit guide you on Monday? And that's super, super important. So let's look at this. Mark 1, verses 14 and 15. This is when Jesus starts his ministry. This is when he starts publicly preaching. This is the very first record we have of him speaking and opening his mouth and saying, this is what I came here to do. So I think we ought to pay attention to how he starts out. And here's what he says. Now, after John the Baptist was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of what? The kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom. The kingdom. In Hebrew, the Melech HaShemayim. Melech HaShemayim. The, the kingdom of heaven. When we look at this phrase and go deeper, it will transform how you look at Monday. And if you're listening to me now and you follow me to the end of the message, you won't be thinking the same at the end as you are right now. And he goes on and says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in this gospel. Okay. If you ask most people on the street, go up to Bellaterra. Those of you watching on TV, that's one of our shopping areas here and walk around and ask people what the kingdom is, and they will basically say heaven. Someday. That's where good people go, is what they will say. Something like that. And the truth is, that's not what Jesus teaches. So let's look, let's pick this apart. What I like to do is take Mark 1, 14 and 15, pick apart, go deeper here. We like to dive deep together here at the well. If you're looking for a church with a Little Rock concert and a Hallmark card talk that makes you feel good, this is not the place to be. 
we like to go deep into the word here and find out what Jesus was really teaching. I want to point out somebody in the back here. Tamara takes some of the best notes of anyone I've ever seen. She's always taking notes. Do you know the Bible stuff that she's writing right now? She goes through her Bibles and looks for things that she's underlined and written notes on. We're all benefiting from years of her study and paying attention to what's being taught and going after these things, seeking and kind of hungry, seeking like you really, really want something. I am so glad that Yelp came out because every time I'm driving, I look up Yelp and think, where am I going to eat next? My whole geography of the world is where I get to eat next, and I know where all the good places are, and, and I'm always seeking that place. And you might think, well, that's not that big. Folks, I can eat anyone here under the table. I guarantee it. I, I can eat more than anybody I know. I'm always seeking the next place to eat. And to seek after the kingdom with that kind of, that kind of uh, hunger, I think is really the key to what we're talking about here. So let's look at each word, each important word in this most important passage and find out what Jesus was trying to tell us. And if you say, well, Jesus is my savior, but I don't care what he was trying to tell us, then you're kind of missing the point. Then he's not really your savior. If Jesus is the central savior in your life, he's your Lord, then you really ought to be concerned about what he's trying to say. So let's unpack this most important passage and figure out where culture has glommed on a bunch of stuff onto that and where that has skewed our understanding. And we have to recalibrate our Palm Pilot a little bit to make sure we're on track with what Jesus is teaching. The gospel. Jesus says, believe in the gospel. He went teaching this good news. Gospel comes from an old English word, good spiel, good spell. Spiel is a German word, which means a play. You go to watch a play, it's a spiel. You hear a salesperson, and he or she says, this is my spiel. <laughs> and spiel means message or story or drama. And uh, you go to a, a little German medieval town, and you'll see the city hall, and the glockenspiel will happen, and all these little characters will go around, and it's a little story of somebody running after somebody and whatever. Okay, It's a story. So good spiel, gospel, is the good story. The Greek word that Mark uses is euangelion. E-U, at the beginning of something, means good. Angelion means message the good message. You, like euphemism, means a, a good word for a bad thing. Um, euph euphoria means really good feeling. You means really good, joyful, happy, the happy story. So Jesus came here teaching the happy story. That's the, most first, the first word. The next one is kingdom. The Hebrew word for king is melek, M-E-L-E-K. Actually, M-L-K, they don't do their vowels. They don't print their vowels. Melek. And Malkuth is a king's rule. Who's heard of the Third Reich? Reich is the German word for reach. An empire is how far the king's power reaches. Past that spot, 
people don't pay attention to the king. So uh, a, a reich is how far God reaches. And so it's the rule of God. To what extent does God's rule reach into this world, into this creation? The kingdom is God's reach, God's rule, God's working through us, and God's getting a hold of us, grabbing us by the spine and shaking us around and and working into our minds and paying attention to us and being a part of our lives. God's reach extends everywhere, and it's happening right now in this room, in your soul, wherever you are. God's reach is everywhere. Abram Kuyper, one of my favorite theologians from Holland, said that there is not one square centimeter. They use the metric system over there. There's not one square centimeter, cubic centimeter, anywhere in creation where God doesn't say, that's mine. That's mine. God's reach is everywhere. And Jesus came teaching about God's reach and where God orchestrates and reaches into the world and how he orchestrates things and how he makes things happen and how he animates your consciousness right now. Your consciousness, by the way, is a fantastic miracle which scientists have no answer for. It's called the hard problem of philosophy. It's, it's the fact that you can see out your eyes and there's something in there is just the weirdest thing. And if you haven't marveled at that, you're not paying attention. You are a priceless being and you have consciousness and you're aware. It's, it's absolutely amazing. So far we got gospel and then we have kingdom. God's reach. Fulfilled. This is super important. I've said this many times, but Middle Eastern people, which would include Jews, Arabs, Palestinians, the whole shebang, Arabs, Israelis, speak Semitic languages, and Semitic languages don't have a past, present, and future. I know that's weird, because we think in a timeline, don't we? We got that from the Greeks and the Romans. We think past, present, future. Do you remember English class where you had to diagram your sentence, past, present, and future? We think past, present, and future. They did not, and they don't to this day. And this is why our negotiations in the Middle East always fail, because we fail to understand that they think differently than we do, very differently. They don't just have a different word for everything. They have a different operating system. And it's spatial, and they fight over every square inch of land because their language is spatial. It has to do with space, not to do with time. And they describe everything in terms of space. And they only have two tenses, not past, present, and future, but just two, finished and unfinished. We've mentioned this before. And Jesus is saying the unfinished is now becoming finished. The time is perfect for the fullness of the gospel to be expressed. And he came there to fulfill that. What does he say on the cross? What does he say all the way through the gospels? He came to fulfill that which was unfulfilled to finish that which is unfinished. And he said on the cross, it is finished. I'm coming here to make what is unfinished finished. So he's thinking like a Jew, which shouldn't surprise us. That's how they think, because that's how their brains go. You can only think according to your operating system. That's how that works. So he says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom is near. Once again, they speak spatially. He's not talking about near in terms of it's, it's about to come. He's saying it's around us close. Do you understand spatial versus time? So the kingdom is around us. The kingdom is within us. The kingdom is close by. It's getting fulfilled, and I'm going to teach you how to operate in it. 
And that's what it means to be a Christian, is to operate in the power of the kingdom. So let's look at the next big word, repent. In Hebrew, the word shuv means to make a U-turn and think differently. And boy, do we need to think differently in this country. To turn around and think completely differently. But the Greek word which Mark uses is metanoia, which means noia is mind, your brain. Meta means higher. Have a higher mind. Get up to a higher elevation so you see the big picture. So you see the world. I love getting a window seat on an airplane. I always ask for the window seat. I hate it when I have to go to the bathroom because then you've got to walk through three people to get out to the aisle. But I love the window seat because I love to look down on America from above. And, you know, nobody lives between here and Chicago. You just, you just, it's just, you just it's going down there. Overpopulated? I don't think so. I don't see anyone down there. But anyways, it's, uh, it's wonderful to, uh, to see things from a higher perspective. Who here has had at least three or four times in your life where you had a breakthrough in your understanding and you saw things at a higher elevation? Like, oh, this is, this is how, oh, this, how did I not know this? But you can't see it till you get higher. You can't see it. I, Wendy bought me a drone, a little one, and uh, I crashed it. But it was, it was really, it's, it's ruined. You crashed it? Into a palm tree, yes, but I crashed it again after that. But, uh, and I tried to fix it. I tried to fix it. And it but it, the cool thing when we had it is you got to see things from a higher perspective. It's really cool to be able to see things from on top. We have a really long, narrow house that looks like a pencil from above because it's like 17 feet wide and really long, and you don't realize that when you're, you're in it. I call it a... Never mind. <laughs> Metanoia. And believe. Jesus was speaking Aramaic, which is like Hebrew, and the word is amen. The Old Testament doesn't have a word for believe. The Hebrew language doesn't have a word for believe. What they say is amen, amen. Amen, 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 I say unto you, which is, in other words, this is something solid you can build on. Build your house on a rock, not on sand. This is something you can stand on, is what he's saying. You can stand on this good news. It's not intellectual assent. It's not checking a box. It's you can stand on this. This is, this is ice that is thick enough to stand on if you're on a frozen lake. Some of you in California have no idea what I'm talking about. But anyways, move on to the next one. So what was Jesus trying to tell us? Let's go back to those words. Gospel, kingdom, fulfilled, repent and believe. What was he trying to tell us in this most important thing? Seek first the kingdom. Let's look at what Jewish people thought and think is the kingdom, God's reach. Well, here's what it is. If you run into an old Jewish man, he's very likely to say the phrase, from Keter to Malkuth, which is the same as saying from soup to nuts. It's how Hebrew-oriented people would say soup to nuts, the whole shebang, the whole nine yards, whatever nine yards means. Somebody should look that up. But uh, the whole enchilada, the whole deal, Keter to Malkuth. Would you take your hands for a second? We're going to practice this just to keep... Put your hands like this over your head, make a halo, and say the word cater. Okay. You've seen it in cartoons. People draw a circle over someone's head, which means they're connected to heaven. doesn't mean they're perfect. It means they're connected to heaven. And the Jewish people call that your cater, which is their word for crown. 
you've got a crown on top of your head that you don't see in the spirit. And that is your, that's your, that's your open spot towards heaven, which is why we want to pray upwards. Yeah, you literally physically have a, a, an opening there till it closes. And so there's a sense to which Cater is your crown. From Cater to Malkuth, Malkuth is where you touch the ground. It's where your feet, feet touch the ground. It's where your hands. When we pray over someone, especially once COVID is over, what do you do? You lay hands on them and pray over them. It's really cool. Uh, it's where we touch creation. And Jesus kept telling us that's how you go around the world. What did, what did God tell Moses when he was looking at the burning bush? Take off your shoes for your standing on holy ground. That's, that's, that's Malkuth. Kate, Malkuth is kingdom. Kingdom is where the spiritual connects with the physical. Cater is your openness. So the Spirit of God comes straight down, goes through you, and touches the world. You are the connector between the heavenly and the physical. That's why God created people. We are part of his, we're a lot more like God than we're like the rest of creation. We're conscious, we can make decisions, we have freedom, we are, create, we are creative. We're, we don't fit with the rest of creation in a lot of ways. And how we operate in creation is really important. And we can do a lot of damage and we can do a lot of good. And we have to be connected to the source of God's power to do that well. So from crown to kingdom, from Cater to Malkuth, the kingdom of God is God's reach into the world, and he reaches into the world through us. We are God's hands, God's feet, God's mouthpiece. We practice this before our, our board meetings at the church. We always start with prophetic prayer. We say, God, just speak to us because we're in the presence of a God who speaks, and he does. And we get to hear what he has to say, and virtually everybody hears from God every time because that's what God does. But without our voices, it wouldn't come out. We are that connection between the spiritual and the physical. It runs right down the middle of you. And you sense that every day. The miracle of your consciousness and all the stuff going on inside of you and the, and the whole deal and what, how we can affect the world, which is just huge. Karl Barth. I went to the University of Karl well, it wasn't called the University of Karl Barth. It's the University of Bonn. But he was the famous theologian there in the 20th century. He was one of the few German theologians who was an anti-Nazi. He had a congregation much like this, and he preached every week, and he also did his professor stuff. And uh, was always a very faithful pastor. And he was arguably one of the greatest theological Bible minds of the last century. Isn't it weird to call the last century the 20th century? It's just... This is strange. Uh, yeah, anyways, when people say, oh, that was in the last century, I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, that's the century I was born in. It's just like, wow, how'd that happen? But Karl Barth um, had a phrase in his pivotal, arguably the most influential Bible commentary ever written, was his commentary on the book of Romans called Der Römerbrief. And he says, God's grace kommt senkrecht vom oben, comes straight down from above. And it's always been broadcasting. It wasn't just in the New Testament. King David was receiving it. King David went after it. And God's grace and power is always coming straight down through your cater into Malkuth. And that's how we operate. That's what we're here for. And uh, just a fantastic mind. 
it's it's an amazing book. I don't know if it's in English or not, but it's 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 something. And he fully gets Jesus' spirituality on how we receive from above and we go minister into the world. That's how this works. That's what you're here for. You are here to be God's ambassador in the world, a spiritual ambassador in a physical world. That's what you are. That's what you do. Here's the problem. Jesus' worldview is not our North American worldview. It's just not. It's not in the media. It's not in our schools. If you want to open that closet back there sometime and look back at the windows, the windows there have stained glass overlay on them. One of the windows, it worked, and the other one, it didn't. We keep trying to tape it back up, and it doesn't look very good. If you want to fix that, please go ahead if you're one of those fixing kind of people. Every once in a while, I surprise Wendy with stained glass overlay in our house. It's, it's this film of stuff. And when you have a really boring window somewhere that's like above a door or something, I often just order it, cut it out, and stick it on there. And it looks like stained glass. It's really kind of cool. It's inexpensive. You put it up there, and you can get it at probably Home Depot. I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of neat. But this is the North American worldview of Christianity. The glass is real. The window is real. And if you want to, you can have an optional Christian overlay. That's what America teaches. And you can have this Christian overlay over the top of it. And the Christian overlay means you believe in God, you trust Jesus for your salvation, you go to church once in a while, and you try to be a good person. And that's what the overlay says. And the people who have that call themselves Christians. The people who don't just have the clear glass. But folks, that's not Jesus' worldview. Jesus' worldview is a lot more than just the overlay. Jesus' worldview has to do with the whole thing, not just an optional thing that you can or can't have. But isn't that how North America looks at Christianity? It's it, it, We're all a piece of glass, and you can have overlay if you want. And you can have any overlay you want, and the Christian one is fine sometimes. That's how that works. But that is not Jesus' worldview. Here's Jesus' worldview. Picture a projector and a screen. Jesus' worldview is that the creation is the screen, the creation we live in, and the source is someone he called Abba, Father. And he calls him Father all the way through the Gospels. And the Father is the source of everything. And he is projecting creation on the screen. And he's the main thing, not creation. And here's the good news. You have a lot more in common with the projector than you do with the screen. And having a relationship with God, the Father, means to start working with him in the production of the film. Not to get stuck on the screen. If you're stuck on the screen, you just take what's coming in life and you don't really you don't really affect anything. Life just happens to you. You're just part of this movie that uh, that you have no control over. And that's how most of, most North Americans live. You just do the best you can with the movie that's given you and you just kind of muddle through. And Jesus has good news saying you can work with the projector and you can change the story. You can change creation. You can change what's happening around you. With the power of the Holy Spirit, you can make a huge difference. You can start to affect the outcome of the story that's happening every day. 
this is really good news because God's reach, you have access to God's reach. You have access to the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't do miracles to show off to prove he was the Son of God. In fact, he always said no when people asked him to do that. He did miracles to show us how to operate in the kingdom and how to do the things that he was doing, how to lay hands on people and pray for healing, how to make a difference in the world, how to interact with people in such a way that good things happen, that the story changes, that the story... It, the fact that we have more in common with the projector than the screen liberates us from the screen. And if we're connected to the projector, that means we have eternal life with the Lord, no matter if the screen disappears or not. We're still part of what goes on. So there is eternal life involved here. So what I'm asking you is, do you want to be part of the production team, or do you want to just show up on the screen and see what happens? To be a part of the production team is what Jesus is talking about. And he did it through stories. He reinforced the teaching through stories called the parables. And the parables are all about how the kingdom operates, how the projector operates, how you can make a big difference in things, and how, what, how your presence here is way more important than you think. And if you don't believe me, ask any teacher of grade school. One good kid can walk into the room and change the whole school year. One nasty kid can come in and ruin the entire year. And you can be one or the other. Every time you walk into a room, you affect the atmosphere. You do. You affect what's going on. And some of you bring just a fantastic presence with you. I'm going to point out Suzanne here. Suzanne, with her smile, brings a presence into the room, which is beautiful. You just do. And we can affect everything when we walk into a room. You can affect all the people around you. For better or for worse, you have a lot of spiritual power. And to neglect that, at the grocery store, you have more power than you think. Just smiling. at I can't wait to read these masks so I can smile at people again. I'm trying to smile with my eyes, but <laughs> not sure it works that well. He reinforced it through stories, and stories are powerful. I'm going to point out Bill here. He doesn't like it when I do this, but I'm going to do it anyways. Bill doesn't come to church on Easter. He generally tries to minister to the homeless on Easter. So he showed up at the beach with $10 bills in his pocket and was going to give them out to people, but he realized there was almost no homeless people out because it was Easter and the beach was full of tourists and stuff. But he found six homeless people. He says, these $10 bills won't do much good. So he decided to take them all out for breakfast. And just the story he told... Stories are powerful. Sitting there with the, with the homeless people, order anything you want, he says, except alcohol, and, uh, and let's have a good time. That is, that's a beautiful story. I forgot everything else Bill said this morning, but I will, I, I will remember that story. Because Bill talks a lot, and you forget some of the stuff he says. But, uh, but, but, the, but, the, story, but the story itself, the story itself was, was, the story was like a jewel. I just looked at that thought, I won't forget that story. That's right. I was thinking, why did you invite me to breakfast? A, so, but the story, that's why Jesus reinforced the kingdom stuff, not with theology, but with stories about how to affect the outcome of the stories about how to affect the outcome of the story. That's what he was teaching. 
And then he sent people out to do this stuff. In Luke 9 and Luke 10, he sends people out two different times. First he sends out the 12, then he sends out the 70. Sends them out two by two. And he says, go out and try to get people to get saved and go to heaven. Does he ever say that? No. He says, tell them the kingdom is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, and do ministry with them. Change their stories. Change the outcomes. Make a difference. And he didn't go with them. He says, you guys have what it takes to do this. And some of them were, let me just say, not the sharpest crayons in the box. We know that from these stories. There's some doofuses in the 12, for sure. And he's sending them out anyway. He says, you guys, have, because you are human beings, because you are the hinge between the spiritual and the physical, you can go out there and you can actually work with the projector, with Abba, with the Father, to change the outcome of the story. That's a big deal. People, to tell people the good news that they can change the outcome of their story and the whole world story just by working with the Lord is a pretty exciting worldview. No wonder people don't go to church because all we talk about is getting their sins forgiven like it's some scorecard. And we, we forget about grace. And we forget about God's power. We forget about all these things. And we miss out. So he sent them out. He says, tell them the kingdom is near when you're ministering to them. Never one mention about getting their sins forgiven. Do you think some of their sins got forgiven in this ministry? Absolutely. But got their sins forgiven for something, not just from something. Yes, from something, but for something. We get our sins forgiven so that we can get our heads clear so we can get stuff done. Because if we're focusing on our sins, we can't get anything done. We just feel icky and awful and worth, worthless. So he sent them out. So here's some practicalities. How do I seek first the kingdom? Because that's a commandment of Jesus. Seek first the kingdom. One, interact with spirit-filled people as much as possible. People who understand that they can affect the outcome. People who understand that the power of God is dynamic. People who understand that prayer makes a difference. People who understand that we're part of the production team, not just the actors in a play with, with lines and script to read. You affect everything that's happening around you. We are reality-creating machines, people. That's why God put us here to garden, to change the world, to transform what is broken into what is beautiful. That's the key. Don't underestimate your partnership with the projector. No, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. I, my, one of my favorite lines from Monty Python. All these people are groveling. Oh, there's the Lord. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. And the Lord's up there saying, stop groveling. I hate groveling. There's something to that. I, that's very biblical. The Bible says, walk into the throne room with boldness like we belong there. We belong on the production team. We belong on the, the creation team. John 14, 12, one of the craziest verses in the Bible says, Jesus says, you've seen me do big things, greater things than these you will do. When Jesus says this, it's true, people, that we are. Why? Because there's so many more of us. We can do a lot more. We can do a lot more than one person could do. And he's operating in the spirit. We can do all kinds of things. Number three, watch what Jesus doesn't say very often. Don't think that Jesus' message is what necessarily you were taught in Sunday school. 
question what you were taught, and look at the Gospels themselves. You can't read the Gospels too much. You can't read the Jesus stories too much. They're absolutely magnificent. In Eastern Orthodox churches, everybody stands up for the reading of the Gospel, and the the little acolyte on the side says, silence, wisdom, and people stand up, and they read the Gospel for something from the Gospel. This Jesus teaching is powerful stuff. Last one. We belong more to the projector than to the screen. Well, I'm going to close with a story. I'm going to invite the worship team back up here. The Burns story. You might wonder what this is. No, I'm not taking on a Michael Jackson phase. This is a, He always had one of these, but I'm not sure why. But I had a bad burn on Wednesday. Was it Wednesday? Wendy and I were camping in up at uh, Mount Palomar. And we have a little trailer, and we can camp in really cold places now because I put in a diesel heater. And diesel doesn't burn, which is really kind of cool. If you didn't know this, diesel and jet fuel are almost the same thing, by the way. You can hold a match to it. It doesn't really, doesn't really light. And I put in the diesel, the diesel heater because it's safer than a propane heater because I lost an uncle to a propane heater in a, in a truck camper when he was, when he was uh, Uncle Harold. He was hunting and uh, turned on his propane heater and woke up dead. You know, that's, that, that happens because propane heaters are very flammable and everything else. So I was trying to be ironic here. I was trying to be safer. I had two gas cans in the back of my car, and I couldn't remember which one was gasoline and which one was diesel. Gasoline is a lot more flammable than you can imagine. You might think... It's flammable. It says that on the side, but more flammable than you think. And so I was 80% sure that the smaller of the cans had the diesel and the other one had gasoline. But in order to be safe again here, I said, let's get two little aluminum foil cups, pour a little bit in each one, and light one on fire and see which one burns and which one doesn't. Then I'll be sure to put the diesel in the heater. So I'm trying to be super safe here because 80% sure, but I didn't want to be just 80. I wanted to be absolutely sure that we're putting diesel in the heater, not gasoline. Well, we get these two little cups and we filled them up. Well, didn't fill them. I just put a little bit in each and I lit the gasoline one. And the fumes from the actual gasoline can, which was not that close, arced over to the gasoline can and the gasoline can lit on. And we were under a bunch of trees in the forest because we were trying to get out of the wind. And I realized that this flame was going straight up to those trees and, and the forest would go. I, we'd be in the news. You could have read about us, you know, in the LA Times, like idiots who start a forest fire. That, that's what I was thinking. So I grabbed the can while it was burning and threw it as far as I could away from the trees. Unfortunately, it landed pretty close to our propane tank. So I ran through the flames and got to the propane tank and took the propane tank and threw it as far away as I could. And a bunch of, a bunch of Mexican-American friends from a nearby, Carlos and, and uh, Angel and Angel, two angels, the three of them showed up with water and uh, pulled out my fire extinguisher. We went after the thing and finally got it out, but I had this burn on my arm from reaching for the gas can. I'm so glad I did, folks. You would have read about me in the news. Now, 
back to the projector and back to the screen. So bad stuff's happening on the screen. And I'm just grateful I've just got to burn and didn't burn down the forest or kill my wife or something like that. That would have been way worse. And uh, nothing all that bad happened. Well, yesterday on the way home, my burn was getting worse. And I said, let's go to the doctor on the way home. Because I thought it was pretty minor at first, but it started blistering and bubbling and all that stuff. And I thought, well, we probably should go to the doctor. Well, Wendy and I go to Kaiser. So the nearest Kaiser place was in San Marcos on the way home. And uh, Wendy says, well, why are we going to San Marcos? Why don't we just go to the one here in Orange County? I said, we need to go to San Marcos. Because I'd prayed about it. And I know this sounds weird, people, but God said, go to San Marcos. So we're going to San Marcos. And Wendy asked me again, why, we, why go here? Because Wendy's a practical person, and, and she's thinking this is crazy. Because if you want to go back to the doctor, then you don't, you don't want to go all the way back to San Marcos. So we got there, and they said at urgent care, it's about a two-hour wait, and Wendy's face just fell. It's like, we need to go somewhere else. We need to find we need, uh, No, we need to go to San Marcos. I was very calm about it. So I said, we, we sat down, and I checked in, and we need to go to San Marcos. And she was thinking, what are you thinking? And she started playing, what's that game you play? Jelly Splash, because she was really bored. So she was playing Jelly Splash on her phone. And I was sitting there, and she says, two hours. What are you do for two hours? I said, it's not going to take two hours. With, within a half hour, I was seeing the doctor. He called me in. And first of all, the, the nurse's assistant, who was just starting there, said, oh, that's so awesome. I've never seen a burn like that before. We're just learning about burns right now in class. <laughs> This will be great for a report. This will be great for a report. And uh, she's all excited. And then the doctor came in. And he said, whoa, look at that. And he said, I'll take care of you right away. He said, I used to work at the oil refinery in, in um, El Segundo. And I saw four or five of these a day. And I thought, oh, wow, I'm here with a burn expert. How cool is that? Because I was listening to the Lord, listening to the projector. The projector said, go to San Marcos. I went to San Marcos, ended up with a burn expert who's done this gobs of times. And then while he was there, a guy comes in who'd served in Iraq and, and uh, Afghanistan, and he's seen lots of bad stuff too. He says, ooh, that could go bad really quickly, and here's what we need to do. So the two of them are, what are the chances of running into, on a Saturday at urgent care, of running into these two people who knew exactly what to do, exactly how to medicate it, exactly. Folks, we have way more control over the story than we think. And just listening to God about those little things. How do you think Noah felt when God said, build an ark on dry land? But that was the projector talking to Noah to change the story. How many promptings do we miss every day? All the time. Wake up in the morning, people. And ask, ask the Holy Spirit to guide you through the day. Ask him to tell you what to do. Ask him to help you operate in the kingdom. Seek ye first the kingdom and all these other things will be added unto you. Folks, the Christian faith is so much more than stained glass overlay. It's, it's exciting. It's fun. It's part of a magnificent way of looking at the world. 
and you and I can change the very outcome of it. I'd like you to get your communion ready, even those of you who are here, because we're going to pretty soon we'll be doing the communion without these things. 30 years from now, they'll look in the box and say, what were those little thingies here? I always take mine off first because it takes a while because I always goof something up. Get the bread ready, and then the way you get the, the cup raised, you snap this down, and then you pull up, and it comes open like that. But first, we're going to enter into a time of worship and prayer. Then we're going to sing the Lord's Prayer. And then we're going to receive communion, which is the kingdom meal, to remind us what we're a part of, to remind us that we're saved for something and not from something. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we just pray a blessing as you prepare our hearts for communion. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, teach us this week each day in the morning to seek first the kingdom and see what adventures unfold. We pray, Lord, to live fully alive in the spirit every day, sometimes doing illogical things that you ask us to do. Lord, I give you thanks for telling me what to do when that fire started to go wrong and and, uh, helping me to act quickly so nothing bad happened and, and guiding me to San Marcos to the right place at the right time. I pray that you would guide all of us, Lord, and that we would just get more and more excited about the adventure that you've got us on here. And that we would see our future not as something set in stone, but something that we can change and improve with your, with your power. Nothing bad happens on the screen, Lord, that you can't fix. But we need to turn to you, Lord, and, and write that script with you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name.
just sang drink from the cup in your hand while she was singing i got an insight into scripture i've never seen before jesus says i won't drink this cup again with you until i drink it with you in the kingdom and i misinterpreted that my whole life till this moment as until we're in heaven with him someday but he says until i drink it with you in the father's reach and we're always in the father's reach and he's going to be drinking it with us today so he's saying until we drink it together means every time we gather. Fascinating how we can miss things all these years. But uh, if he's drinking with us in the kingdom, that means he's drinking with us now and opening up the kingdom to us. I'd like you to save the cup and the bread until after the Lord's Prayer, but I'd like you to look at it. Take the bread. And the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. Again, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it for them all to drink, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this for the remembrance of me. Let's sing together.
invite you to take the bread and the cup and believe the promise of Jesus that he's drinking it with us right now in the power of the kingdom. Please stand to receive a blessing. And now may Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit bless you now and forever. Amen. Seek ye first the kingdom. Have a great week.